you're an expert and your players are often novices and you've seen the video two or three times because you cut it and chose it and selected it and your players are seeing it for the first time. So you are, you are literally seeing five times more in that video than there, I promise you. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to share this bonus episode with you. This episode is a recording of one of the free book clubs I'm running for coaches, covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching by Doug Lamov. This specific meeting consists of two things, about a 15-minute group discussion about the concept of the signal and the noise from Chapter 3 of the book, then a live Q&A with Doug Lamov. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know that registration for Round 2 of the free book clubs covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching is now open. You can go to cgtbookclubs.com or click the link in the show details to save your spot in one of the upcoming free book clubs. And if you have any questions about it, just email me at luke at transformsport.org. Now let's get into the episode. If you want to skip straight to the Q&A with Doug, it begins around 18 minutes. I hope to see you in the next round of book clubs. Enjoy the episode. Signal versus the noise, question generation for Doug, and then Doug will be on at 8.30 for a Q&A for about the next 30 minutes. So... Here's what I want us to do first is I want us to go to page 140 in our books and the green section on page 140. I want us to just take about two, maybe three minutes and read those two paragraphs in the green section titled the signal and the noise. So go ahead and read that now and then I'll bring us back in just a couple of minutes. Okay. I think that these two paragraphs are really important for a lot of reasons. But I think first, let's just really quickly define the signal and the noise um, just from those two paragraphs. So really, this is how Doug defines them. One, the signal is the quality of the decision or execution. And two, noise is the randomness of an outcome or a single situation. And so I think I've heard Doug say it, or maybe it was another coach, just talk about you know sports, soccer, basketball, whatever sport you're coaching. It's full of... <laughs> It's full of, it's full of the wrong things done with good outcomes. And then it's also full of the right things done with negative outcomes. And I think it's really important as coaches that we consider what we're giving feedback. Are we giving feedback on the signal or the noise? And so what I want us to do is just take a couple, um, a couple seconds here to jot down our thoughts to these, these three, two questions and then one um, just kind of reflection and, and application for you. The first question is this, why is this so difficult for coaches and athletes to separate the signal and the noise? And then two, what's the impact on our team's culture when we help uh, athletes understand the difference between signal and noise? And then the last step is just jot down two examples of situations that happen in your practices where you can help distinguish signal versus noise for your athletes. Answer those two questions, jot down two examples. We'll take about two or three minutes to do this. And we'll go ahead and start sharing what we wrote to these questions. And so let's just, 
let's popcorn around, maybe get two coaches for the first question. Uh, Coach Kelly, what did you jot down for the first one? Why is it so difficult for coaches and athletes? I think that's a really good question. It's a hard question, but what I kind of came up with was it's a cause and effect. If there's usually no noise, if there's no signal, you could stand there with a the ball for the whole game and there's no noise because you're just standing there with a the ball, but you start to dribble it and now there's a signal and a noise. So I think it's almost like maybe you can, maybe I'm wrong, but like I feel like you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Is what you're getting at that like when, when you make a decision, inevitably there will be an outcome and sometimes it's noise. Is that what you're getting at? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 That's definitely, I mean, they're so obviously connected, connected. Yeah. Let's um, Sebastian, what about you? What were your thoughts on that? Why is it so hard? This is, this was a difficult one for me to kind of wrap my mind around, but the first Mm -hmm. thing I thought of, I mean, this may be not um, what the, what I should have answered it with, but my thought process was uh, worried about outcomes and the, the, the thought process of failure um, is, is we're, we're so in such a rush to, to get the route right outcomes. So yeah. we're rushing to, to make a quality decision or what people think, sh- what other people think the right decision is. Hmm. So we're rushing to give, um, to do, to produce something, to produce yeah. a response, to produce an action in, in fear that people are going to judge how the outcome plays out. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I think what you said right there is huge. I think it's, it's a, afraid of mistakes or, or we're just evaluating purely based on outcome. Right. And I think that's the big thing that Doug gets at in this section. Like it's so difficult for coaches and athletes because we get really attached to the outcome, you know, for, you know, for example, in soccer or basketball, like I take a shot. Well, is it only a good shot if it goes in? Right. I I think we could all say like, no, like whether it goes in or not actually doesn't like, that's not the signal we're looking for. Um, The outcome is, is more of just noise. And so I think that that's a really important point that you shared there. Um, Coach Rogers, I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Like, what's the impact on our team's culture when we help athletes kind of understand and see the difference between signal and noise? Yeah, I guess I just kind of went to like the being afraid of mistakes um, piece um, and kind of attached it to that. Um, and just that we talk a lot about being process oriented as coaches and not wanting to be focused on the outcome. But if we're not able to separate the signal and the noise, are we really being about what we're talking about or are we being outcome focused, even if that's not necessarily our intention? So I think the more we can focus on the signal, it's going to help us become more process oriented and really just hold us accountable to the culture we're trying to create. Yeah, that's really good. Chris, what about you? What were your thoughts on that? Uh, I kind of took it on uh, this just developing uh, your culture of competing and like maxing out. So hmm. even if you don't necessarily have like the talent, but if you're, you're out there competing, you're making the right decisions, you're maybe not making all the right baskets. I mean, that's really what we want. And so I think teams like that, they'll continue to grow by the end of the year. But if you have a team that is 
so focused on the outcome, like winning or making the making every shot. Uh, if you go on a losing streak, I mean, you can uh, you can lose teams or you can kind of lose players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, totally, totally agree on there. I think those things are so important, and and really, yeah, Coach Rogers, I love what you said. It's like if we say that we're about this thing then all of our, if we say we're about process, all of our feedback can't just be on the outcome. We've got to give feedback on the process too, but that's hard sometimes in the middle of an emotional game or practice where we're feeling heated or emotional and things aren't going well. So yeah, I, I totally agree there. How about we each just share one example situation that you were thinking of, of where maybe you could provide some better feedback on the signal instead of just giving feedback on the noise. Sebastian, you want to share your, one of your examples? Um, I honestly I only had one and it happened yeah. recently. Um, it, it's, it's the one that came to front of mind when I actually read that, uh, the statement, mm-hmm. we, uh, we just wrapped up our futsal season here. Our last game was this past Saturday. And, um, we came up against a team that, uh, that we'd lost to before by one single goal. And, um, and the interesting part, it became like, a it became a character building issue because the other team showed up with less players than they're required to have to well less players to play futsal um to start with essentially so um we had all of our players they were missing one or two players basically had they literally had just enough players to i guess to start the game because you could start down two players yeah so we had a full team and the other team did not um so they had no subs on the bench nothing um, and they had less players on the field. And so we started the game. Everything started fine. And the administrator of the league says, hey, you, um, you, you know, you, if you wanted to make it a little bit more fair, you could, you know, take off a player. And so I looked at my, the assistant coach and we looked at each other and we're like, OK, we've trained. Our boards have trained to uh, play with the right number of players in order to create the advantage to um, to play the game. And so we looked at each other like, this is probably going to throw our rhythm off. So we voluntarily took off a player. And just as we predicted, it threw them off. And um, so much so, they spotted the team <laughs> four goals in about in a matter of five minutes. Um, and we were we – were, we were, it was hard for us to kind of to allow that to happen. Once we went down four goals in that short amount of time, we we're like, we're just off because we're, we're so used to playing with the, with the four outfield players and the one goalkeeper. Yeah. And we were, we were struggling. I was real. I was like, we need to put our players back in so they can at least spread the field out, be able to play efficiently and play the way we normally play because we have the right number of players on the field. Yeah. And it was, we looked at each other and we're like the right thing to do is, is to, to leave a player off and just, yeah. And we were trying to tell our kids, I said, you know what? Sometimes it's about sportsmanship, no matter what you, you may lose the game. The result may be what it's going to be, but it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And their player showed up, literally showed up probably 10 to 15 minutes into the game. Um, and that, that, at that time, the game was somewhat out of hand. Yeah. And we were like, okay, um, so they're going to put their player on. We're going to get our rhythm back. We're going to make this game respectable. And so 
the game continued on and we just couldn't find our rhythm. There was just, there was no rhythm to the game. And I said many times before to them, um, play how we play. Just, just, just focus on how we play. Don't worry about the score. Focus on how we play. Focus yeah. on how we practice and how we created the advantages. And I said, tried to say it in a short phrase. I didn't say all of that, obviously. That would be too distracting. Um, yeah. So I just said, play how we play. Focus on how we play. And so slowly but surely, we started to gain a little rhythm. But just like anything else, you get that far down, it's kind of hard to come back, especially yeah. in futsal when it's quick. If everybody, anybody knows about futsal, it's a quick, fast-paced game. So yeah. in short, we, we, we basically came back, but we could not overcome that deficit that we spotted them, essentially, because we had played them tight before. And uh, we knew how they were going to play. They knew how we were going to play. Our players are about evenly matched. So it was really hard to claw back all of that advantage we spotted them. But at the halftime, well, we had we had uh, opportunity to take timeouts in, in this game. We could take one timeout per half. And we took the timeout and said, don't focus on the score. Focus on how we play. We were, we were adamant about it. Even though we were down, we, yeah. spotted goals, we, just, we just kept hitting that home. It's about sportsmanship. We had to do the right thing. Yes, we spotted them four goals. Don't worry about it. Just play how we play. And we stuck to our guns. And we ended up losing the game. Yeah. Um, but we had to hit home. You know, it's it's more than just about the score. Yeah. Well, props to you for being willing to do that. Yeah, That's hard it, to it do. It was tough. Because like you're I'm saying, you're like, I could just put these guys back in and we'd be fine. So, no, I, yep. I appreciate you sharing that story. That's really good. Sorry, it took a yeah. while to get to the No, point. that's good. It's, it's a good one. Um, yeah, Coach Kelly, what about you? What was your one example? So I use the PGC uh, sevens and nines. They have a shooting mm-hmm. scale, right, of, of one is yeah. a shot you would never, ever take. Three is a, you know, a desperation. Three at the end of the quarter. A nine is, is a, you know, a wide open layup first five seconds of the game. And by now our players know, and I take a lot of pride in this, like take sevens and nines. I don't care if they go in, take sevens and nines guys. And, and it's a culture thing in our program now where we, they, they know it. They made me a hat that says sevens and nines across the top. <laughs> and I know I can just wear that. And it's, yeah, it's, I really have to not care if they go in or not. And I, I yeah. genuinely don't. Um, but that's something that, that has helped me focus yeah. on the, the signal and not necessarily the noise. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Um, one example that I was thinking of just, uh, against the press, sometimes, uh, you can make a bad pass, but you can be successful against the press, but then when you play a better team, that yeah. same pass is not successful. So one of the cues that I look for is, is does the ball travel up high in the air versus mm. a, like a straight pass? Like, I don't care if you quote, you throw the ball completely across the quarter, but if it's like, if it hangs in the air, then yeah. a lot of times, especially when we, play better teams it's uh it's a steal so that's just a yeah quick signal and noise thing that i yeah it's really good yeah coach rogers what about you yeah shot selection was where i kind of went initially um Mm -hmm. but i'll go to the defensive side of the ball and just um help rotations and help decisions and focusing more on that and how many correct decisions we can make within a possession versus the end result and somebody potentially making a lucky shot and us doing everything right and making the correct decisions on that side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I think those are great examples. The one that I was going to share too, was that that same shot selection scale that 
coach Kelly's shared. It's just huge for athletes. When you give them a way to measure success that isn't attached to the outcome. And I think like the things we talked about, it, it makes them unafraid of mistakes and it helps them see the game through the lens that we're seeing it through, right? Like, Hey, your performance is not, you know, totally attached to the goals you score, the buckets you make. Um, I'm actually evaluating you on the quality of your decision, not just whether or not it goes in or not, or whether or not you stop them or not. So yeah, I really, I really like that. I think that's really important. I appreciate you guys sharing that. Here's what I want us to do now is I want us to take a couple minutes to um, talk about the Q and a that we're about to do with Doug. So um, I'll facilitate it. um, But you guys may uh, definitely have some chances uh, to hop in. And so I think Doug's actually a few minutes early. They might've just hopped on. Um, We're going to do, we're going to do this. Um, We're going to do about 15 minutes, just questions for Doug on feedback and then 15 minutes of questions on anything else teaching and coaching related. I want to make sure that we hit um, feedback first, just because that's the chapter we've been studying and what we've been talking about the most. And so what I want us to do before we actually get into the Q of A, Q and A is I just want you guys to take, take a couple minutes and I want you to drop in one question on feedback, one question on anything else, teaching and coaching into the chat. Um, and we'll, after you guys drop those into the chat, I'll kind of look through them and kind of decide the best way to go from there, hopefully to be able to weave as many of them as possible together. Doug, thanks for joining us. It's good to see you. Hey everybody. Nice to, nice to be on with you. Thanks for, thanks for reading the book. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. I'll give you guys about two or three minutes and you can write them down and then send them in the chat or just type them in the chat and send them uh, one question specifically about feedback and one question on anything else, teaching and coaching. Give you about three minutes. All right, let's go ahead. And if you're still thinking of a question, typing it, that's great. Continue to do that. You can send it in. Thanks, Coach Rogers. See that one. Let's start with, let's start with Coach Kelly's question. And then there's a couple other questions that I think we can kind of weave together. Uh, yeah. So coach Kelly's question for you, Doug is what's the lowest hanging fruit or the simplest adjustment I can make to my coaching feedback tomorrow that will give my players the most return. Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think that, um, I try to write a book that would allow coaches to ask themselves that question. So, you know, lots of times when you get advice as a teacher and as a coach, you know, people will give you a system where you have to throw out everything you do. And I just really like the idea of being able to pick little things. Like what you do is probably actually really good. And I like the idea of being able to pick little things that make you better and make you better being you. So um, if I had to identify a lowest hanging fruit, I might cheat a little bit and not make it like one and a half things. I hope that's okay. Um, so I think the first thing would be just the idea of giving feedback on, of not chasing five rabbits and giving feedback on one thing at a time. I just think that like, this is, this is chronic and I do it myself and it's so easy to overwhelm working memory. And then after you describe one thing, give players time to use it. And then if at all possible, if your live feedback can tell them how they're doing at that thing, or at least tell them that you're still watching for that thing. Yes, that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. That's what I like. I just think that simple change, um, maybe call that like 
that's like a definition of what a stoppage could be, right? You're in the middle of a, of a, um, of a game situation or you're an activity-based game. Pause, guys. One thing we need to do is X. Try it now. Go. Yes, love it. No, more of that, Kevin. Um, I think that helps people to focus their concentration and their working memory. Builds a culture about follow-through. And I, I think like there are a lot of like emotional, psycho, psychosocial things that happen when players know more, know more about how they're doing from you and they feel themselves getting better. They feel your focus. They feel themselves getting better. I just think it builds trust in the coach as well. So that would be my one lowest hanging piece of fruit. I probably stuck a couple more pieces of fruit in there. <laughs> it's a low hanging bunch. Yeah, it's really good. Okay. So should I answer the general question too, about what, what's helped? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. No, yeah, let's go with that. Well, I was just going to say like working memory. I'm always thinking about, you know, part of the book is about managing working memory for players and not, and, you know, and like the example of not chasing five rabbits is an example of not overloading their working memory. And I just think the more I think about like managing my own working memory as a coach and a teacher and not putting myself in situations where I'm trying to do too many things. Someone once, um, a coach asked me, Jesse Marsh, actually, who I wrote in chapter five, he asked me if I would come to when he was coaching New York Red Bulls. He said, we come to Red Bulls and I want you to do a presentation for my coaches. And then I want you to talk to my players. And I like, I almost hadn't thought about doing any of this for players. But it was such a smart question. Everything that got, comes out of my guy's mouth is smart. <laughs> it was a smart question because the more players understand about how they learn, the more successful they're going to be. And so, you know, it's really challenging to think about it, but translating this into terms like how do you help yourself become the player you want to be? But I think there's been a lot of that for me too, and just thinking about how do I focus on fewer things better and uh, how do I manage my own working memory? Um, how do I not be trying to do something else when my wife is telling me when, <laughs> when my wife is giving me my Saturday morning list, you know, uh, those, those kinds of things. So I think that's probably where, uh, where it's changed me the most. That's awesome. Great, great question, coach Kelly. Uh, let's tackle Sebastian's question next. And then mm -hmm. I have a follow-up question that a coach submitted via email. So Sebastian's question is what are some ways to recover from giving bad feedback in a session? Sebastian, I love this question. It's um, it's so humble and it's so real because <laughs> you know no matter how hard we try, we're going to give we're going to give bad feedback. Can I just start by asking you a question, Sebastian? Are are you talking about bad technical feedback, which is I tell someone the wrong thing or it doesn't help them, or are you talking about bad feedback where like I bark at someone when I should, where you know where I just like I'm not. Um, or not you know <laughs> like I. Uh, not quite the coach that I want to be. No, it's it's what what I'm focused on is 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 that it's not structured feedback. It's mm. you start down that road, you give them five things, and you go, oh, yeah. I gave them too much, and you realize you can see the see the wheels turn their head, go like, I don't know what I should be doing, or I don't know what I should yeah. say because a lot of kids will go, they'll start nodding their head, yeah, I yes, understand. and then in the back of the mind, you can see it in the back of the mm -hmm. mind, like, I have no clue what's going on. And I had, and I gave a kid and I, and he, he was on an example, on enough to tell me, honest enough to tell me that he did not understand. He's and the so one million did, kid who will tell you and the other kids will just say, yeah, I got it coach. Yeah. And so I, I said, I said, thank you for giving me, thank you for honestly telling me you did not understand. And so at that time, at that time I was going, 
I felt I gave them, you know, good feedback. Yeah. I, I felt I was, you know, I was focused. I felt that I, I gave them, um, I, I worded it properly, clearly. I thought I did everything right, but that one kid who usually understands everything did not understand it. And I just, the only thing I could do was say, hey, thank you for t- being honest enough to tell me that. Well, I think that's a fantastic first step. It's just, it's, you just want, you want to build a culture where players can tell you the truth. And so, you know, in many ways, that's, one, I think exactly part of the, the, you know, the recipe of a perfect response. And also, can I say, indicates like a really good culture in, in your team. I think, you know, the f- first thing is um, assuming the best about learners and students. And so saying something like, I must not have been clear enough. It seems like my directions were, my feedback wasn't clear. Let's start over at the beginning. Let's start with one thing, right? So they don't feel like you're saying, whoa, 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 this isn't working. Isn't a judgment on them. So that m- I might try some sort of language like that. And one other thing that I think is useful is just to ask for a rollback, which is like, it seems like we're, it seems like we're a little confused or it seems like I was unclear. Um, Kevin, tell me back, what are we doing right now? Or what's the one, what's the thing that we're focusing on right now? So just like, it's almost like narrate back to me what I told you. And lots of times the, you can also ask kids, what don't you understand? But the problem with not understanding is you often don't understand what you don't understand. And, you know, or even like, are you clear? Um, you know, self-report is notoriously unreliable. So if I can ask an objective question, tell me the first thing you're going to do. Show me the first thing you're going to do. Uh, tell me what I just told you. I think that's great. And especially in a case with there's a ton of research on the fact that if you're giving individual feedback to someone, especially if it's hard news, people hear what, for the most part, hear what they want to hear. Um, and so like there's this re- research in the business sector that when managers give critical feedback to employees and they feel like they've been brutally, you know, like brutally harsh, 75% of the time the employee like comes out of the meeting thinking they're doing a great job. Cause it's just, it's very hard to communicate constructive feedback with clarity. And, and sometimes people willfully hear only the good news. And so if I have a one-on-one conversation in particular with an athlete where I have to say something, which is like, you're not, you know, I'm going to start someone else on Saturday and here's why, and here's what you need to do to get back in the lineup. I might think about ending that conversation with tell me back what you just heard me say, just so I can, you know, one, I think it drives it into, <laughs> you know, I just think it re- record, re- reinscribes it one more time into long-term into memory. But I think it also helps you hear the way that they heard it. And you can say, well, that's, that's not quite what I said. I didn't say, I didn't say, I don't, I don't believe in you. I said, I believe in you, but I think you're struggling right now to do some of the things that I've asked you to do. And I think you can earn your way back into the lineup, right? So you can, it gives you the opportunity just to fix some things you might not have been aware of as well. So I guess you could call that just a, a rollback or a tellback. That's really good. I like that concept of a rollback. So here's a follow-up question to that, Doug, and a coach submitted it uh, via email. <laughs> Let's say that you're working with an assistant or maybe you have multiple assistants mm-hmm. and one of your assistants is giving some really counterproductive feedback. Talk about aligning a coaching staff yeah. around giving good feedback. For the sake of anonymity here, I have to cut a little bit of the context of the situation, but I'll just say this, that a coach was running a practice with some assistants that he hadn't previously worked with much, and Doug is about to comment on the feedback that was given in those practices. I think one of the most valuable things you can do if you have, if you have assistant coaches is prepare watching responsibilities or viewing responsibilities. In other words, 
if there are two of us or three of us or four of us, and we're all watching the team practice, we shouldn't all just be watching generally. We should be watching for different things. So they were working on a couple of things. One of the things was, was um, transition defense. And one of the things was closeouts. And so I was like, so one of your coaches should be responsible for watching only for closeouts. If that's one of the things you're working on and training, you know, in this, you know, over the next couple of weeks and, and whenever you're scrimmaging and whenever you're doing it, he should be watching who's closing out well, who's not, what are the mistakes that we're making? And some of the feedback he can give can be like, Eric, get tighter, active hands. But lots of times the reason that coaches, especially assistance coaches give extraneous or excessive feedback or non-aligned feedback is because they have no other way to communicate the things that they're seeing. And so it's either say it or it gets lost. And so one of the things we talked about was they should have a, they should be taking notes. And so they, now they have like, they're gathering data. They have a single thing. They have different things to focus on. And then they have a choice. They can dis- And you can have a di- discussion about how do I decide whether I want to tell the player right now or whether I come back to the coaching staff after the session and say, here's some things I noticed about the way that we're working in transition defense. And here's some of the guys who are struggling. Here's some of the guys who are doing great. In other words, it gives you another, it gives one of the reasons assistant coaches are not talk, give feedback at the inappropriate times because they have no other way to communicate the things that they're observing. So, and I think people give better feedback and don't overlap each other when you give them distinct responsibilities. So different people are in charge of different things. You know, obviously there's a lot in the book about the challenges of perception for athletes. There's also immense challenges for coaches. We can't see everything that happens. So dividing responsibility, defining responsibility intentionally beforehand and planning them out makes it more likely that we'll see the things that matter. So I think that's, um, that's I think it's just a big and hidden part of managing um, coaching staff. The other thing is uh, someone asked a question about, um, I think it was Christian, about anticipating errors and, and planning for errors. And I just think this is something that um, coaches should do together. So look, one of the other things that was doing with his staff was they practiced twice. They videoed the first practice. And after the first practice, they sat down and watched it. And they're looking for examples of why's and why nots, which is like, why is this good? And why is this, or why is this not good? And so they're like, okay, let's, let's find four examples of transition defense. Right. And so they're, and, and so as they're watching it, they're like, this is good because that, this is bad because of, this is great because his Sebastian does this. This is great because Kristen does that. And most of that information, which is about what are the mistakes that we're making and what does excellence look like when we do it well, evaporated into the ether. A little bit of it came in. They chose a few of the clips and they showed the clips to the guys and that's a whole other story. But most, there was nobody writing it down. And again, like to me, one of the coaches, the coach who's in charge of transition defense should be writing all this down. Like, here's a list of the things that we do well. Here's a list of the mistakes that we make. Now we have a really good like beginning of what does excellence look like when we're in transition defense and what are the common mistakes we should be looking for? And then when we go out on the floor for the second practice, so the next day, like I would say we should be reviewing that list to make sure that we're watching through the things that were going wrong. You know, they were really frustrated with the number of turnovers of given like, and they had a theory about why they're giving the, giving the ball away. So like they should be watching for that when they go out to the second practice. Well, let's kind of take that section about coaches watching mm-hmm. film and shift into Chris's question about using film to teach players, specifically at the high school level is what Chris noted. But, you know, what are maybe some mistakes that coaches typically make with film and how could yeah. we use it more effectively? Love it. Great question. The fancier the film stuff you have, the more likely you are to make the human mistakes and overlook the, the fundamental teaching and human interactions, which make film worthwhile. 
So I'll try to keep myself brief here, but what is the purpose of showing video? For the most part, it's to build their visual perception of what it looks like to play correctly. The first thing, well, the first thing with video is that people show way too much at once. It's incredibly dense and we know the limits of working memory. So I wanna show video in really small pieces. And then I, wanna, I want people to think about it. So I have to ask questions about it and I have to ask perception-based questions. So um, one of their best videos was one of their guards coming off a screen where there was space between him and, him and his defender created by the screen and he didn't notice it and he didn't shoot. And so he keeps dribbling and he like actually dribbles into greater pressure. And so what he wanted him to recognize was, he, was that as soon as he came around the screen, he had space to shoot. And so what they'd been doing in their video sessions was just telling players, see this, see this, see this. And the player, you know, like, so I suggested a perception-based question, which is, um, Carson, what do you see? And Carson nailed it. He said, there's space behind, there's space behind the screen. I should have shot there, right? And so in, he didn't even have to ask the why question, but they're the um, making decisions quickly under pressure is making a linkage between a perception and an action. And that's basically what the question asked him to do, which is what do you perceive? What do you do as a result of it? So with, I think that's the priority that we're shooting for with video. So when we show video, I wanna show it in small chunks. I wanna make sure that I'm asking questions repeatedly so the players are doing lots of cognitive work as opposed to me just telling them what I see in the video. I think one thing that we often overlook is how hard it is to process video, especially the first time through. And it's almost always valuable to show it two or three times, right? So like after we said, like, let's roll it back again and watch again, what do you notice this time? Or just, you know, um, that you're an expert and your players are often novices and you've seen the video two or three times because you cut it and chose it and selected it and your players are seeing it for the first time. So you are, you are literally seeing five times more in that video than there, I promise you. Um, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure out, you know, which team is who and who's got the ball by the time the key thing happens and they've already, they've already missed it. So um, show it slow, <laughs> plan your pause point. Like the point at which you pause the video is really important because that's where the visual cue happens and then show it again and possibly show it a third time. Um, and if like, um, and I would just say like all of these things are things that came up. They skipped over all these steps. And to be honest, I just like they have so much video technology. Uh, and I think most of it was wasted. Thanks for sharing those stories. Those are awesome. It, like you said, it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's like at the highest level, these are the, still the same things that they're going through. I want to add one thing. And then Coach Rogers has a follow up question. Something that I found effective, and it's a concept you write about in the book, Doug, is calling your shot during film. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, let's say you're showing the same clip three times, like call your shot, meaning tell them exactly what you want them to watch for. I want your eyes to be on this thing when we're watching this clip here. And again, it's just watch like, the, just them watch both. the, watch the defender, right? Like if yeah. not, who knows, who knows who they're watching <laughs> Yes, um, or watch the defender's body or watch his feet. And it could even be different things each time through. Great. Now watch, watch the defender's feet. Great. Now watch his arms. Um, you know, because there are 15 stories happening at once in any video. Uh, and so people will be watching random things unless you guide them. I think that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Coach Rogers, you want to go ahead and ask your follow-up question? Yeah, I just was wondering if there's any benefit to using like other teams to correct errors versus like your own. Is it received any differently in your recommendation there? Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer is um, yes and yes. <laughs> and I, I think 
um, there's benefits showing other teams and there's benefits showing your own team. And it's like, it's, it's just like maybe awareness of some of the trade-offs. First of all, like showing other teams, it's a little bit less emotionally fraught and you can usually prep in an event. There's a lot, there's just a lot more volume out there of examples for things you can show and you can show examples of things that your team can't do yet. So if I want my team to play like, um, Barcelona, <laughs> uh, you know, and they're not there yet, I can show them a really aspirational video and have them say, what do you see? What, what's the difference? You know, what do you, what makes this at a level higher than what, than what we do? But there's also a power to seeing yourself and an accountability to seeing yourself and your team, you know, like mutual accountability, like this is us. And I think you, there's a, like one of the things I was doing yesterday that I thought was brilliant He is he would, for each of the guys, he wanted them to know he believed in them and he wanted them to know that they needed to get better, right? That's why you're in summer league in the NBA, right? Because you're like, you're on the bubble between like, you could be out of the league in a week and you could be making 9 million, you could have a 9 million, you know, $9 million year contract in a week. If you're serious about learning, it can make a difference. And so for every player, he would be like, here's one of you being great. And one, here's one of you making a mistake and you're better than this. And so everyone got the message of like, I believe in you and I see your excellence. And I also see your gaps and just that, like the culture that you establish by being willing to watch ourselves and being accountable to watching ourselves. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to build that, but I think that can also be, you know, and studying yourself is um, one is studying sort of, I've described as studying exemplars, right? When you're studying what other people do. It's also, by the way, easier to study mistakes. Like if we re like, there's a limit to how much studying of mistakes I can do with my own team, um, depending on the call. You know, at, at the pro level, I think you can put guys in the room and tear them apart. <laughs> but, you know, if you have a group of 14 year olds, you want to be a little bit gentle and you don't want to, you know, damn it, Chelsea. <laughs> like, they're kids, right? You want them to love the game. So I think it's in some ways it's easier to analyze mistakes at some point when you're looking, when you're not looking at your own team. So I guess that was, that, uh, that was a little bit of a spray of um, trade-offs that I see in showing video of other people versus showing video of yourselves. One other challenge of showing video of other people is just like the belief gap of like, oh, we could never do that. Which is when you show us at our best moments, you're like, look at us doing this. Then the sort of, you have existence proof. That's good. That's really good. I think we can kind of tie two questions together here for our last one. Let's talk a little bit more about anticipating errors. So coach Rogers was just asking about like within a practice plan session, like how many errors should you try to anticipate? Yeah. How do you, how do you look for them? And then coach Chris asked, and as far as observing and collecting data, how do we use that and act on mm -hmm. it? And I feel like those things may connect a bit. Yeah. I mean, there's no right answer to how many, but my gut is like three is a nice number. <laughs> it's, it feels like that, that or three or four, you know, things that could go wrong in a typical activity beyond that. I think I'm beyond the 80, 20 rule of like, I can think of more things that are likely to happen, but they're pretty peripheral. And 90% of the errors are going to be of a common variety. And maybe I'll be wrong. Sometimes I'll be wrong and I'll be like, wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. But I think, you know, two to four seems like a good number. It's also a manageable number to Chris's, you know, like, what do you do with it? One of the first like aha moments for me in coaching was I went to, um, I was watching U.S. soccer do like a regional ID clinic. So this is like 15 year old players from around New England. And they're just like, they invite them in every six months to see 
who they might want to invite to a national camp. And the coach is a guy named Tony Lapore, and they're doing this triangle passing activity. And he explains the activity and he says, go. And then he takes out a little note, a little note card that's in his pocket and a stub of a golf pencil that's in the other pocket. And on the list is the, the three things that he thinks are like that are most important about the triangle passing activity. Snap open your hips to receive the ball, eyes up, receive the ball across your body. And he's actually tap, just ticking them off like a histogram. So he's building a data set. And by the time the drill was had been going on for three minutes and he'd walked around, this, you know, there are probably 50 boys in the gym. So he's like walking up and down the rows and he's got eight ticks next to, you know, not snapping open your hips and two ticks next to um, receiving the ball across, across your body. Then he knows what he should talk about, right? So he's, he's almost like, you have a small number of things and all he's doing is just putting little slashes next to it and an occasional note. And that's, so that tells him what his stoppage should be about and what his next, te next teaching point should be about. And maybe there are a few tiny notes in there. So I, I think that's, to me, that's simple and manageable and not, you know, you don't want to build a tool to manage your working memory that ends up overwhelming your working memory, which I think can happen, right? The perfect can become the enemy of the good. I just think a, sim a simple tool that disciplines me to think about observation as data and to look for the things that might go wrong intentionally. Um, I think that, you know, that's usually sufficient. Again, like I think it's one of those, you get 80% of the value out of 20% of the, of the work. And then you can add, you know, you can do 80% more things, but you start getting diminishing marginal returns from them. Yeah, that's or really at least, good. Or you know, like start really, start really, really, really simple. So you're not afraid to start. And then you'll add layers and figure out things on your own. But don't like if you wait to have, have like the beautiful dream machine to start, then it's harder to start when you get it and you may never get it. Yeah, that's that's so good. Uh, well, Doug, this has been awesome. Uh, it's 8.55. Um, coaches, I'll give you guys the details for next week. Uh, but Doug, thank you for hopping on, answering our questions and writing this book. Yeah, we appreciate you a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Love the book. <laughs> Thank you so much. Can I actually, can I ask, can I take two minutes to ask a question? Oh yeah, please. I would just be, it, um, I don't mean this to sound, um, it'd be helpful to me to know if there's one idea that each of that like stood out to each of you as really useful. Not because I'm, I promise I'm not looking for compliments, but it's just helpful for me to know what resonated with you in the book and what stood out. So when I think about like writing blog posts and developing, just knowing what's important. Yeah, let's do that. And so I, if you feel comfortable, you, be, no, be really I'm glad you said that because that was actually on my slides is to like each just share our big takeaway from this. So yeah, let's just popcorn around. Whoever wants to share first, just share. And if you want to tell me something that was really bad, you can tell me that too. <laughs> my my I'll, big I'll takeaway. Uh, Go ahead, Chris. Oh, my big takeaway is uh, as a teacher, how much just coaching is teaching. Like, I mean, they're the same. It's just a lot of the techniques that you did talk about in, uh, in your book. It's like, I do in my classroom and like, you know, I, you talk about like a six week unit plan for like coaching. Like I don't do that when I coach, like I plan week to week and then kind of reflective on the game. I try to plan like two weeks in advance, particularly at the beginning of the year, but I, I really, I, I forget what you called it, but where you had like five to 10 minutes where you would come back and redo things that you maybe hadn't done. I forget what, what you called it. Yeah, from I, the, the retrieval list. Yeah. 
And I, that was a really big takeaway. Just how much I need to continually bring my teaching into my coaching. And they're, I mean, they're the same. So. Thanks. And that makes me happy that, <laughs> that it's things you, you, you know, and are, you feel like you're in your skill set, and it's just thinking about how to adapt them. So thanks for that, Chris. For me, it was, it was more about, obviously about this chapter about feedback, because I've heard you say several times, it's, it's the one thing that we give the most mm. and that we need to be better at it because we give it so often. Yeah. Um, and then I sit and watch a lot of other coaches and, and, and listen to their stoppages and whether it's live or whether it's, you know, whether it's a group setting or individual settings. So I listen to a lot of coaches and about their feedback and what resonates with me. And when I read through the chapter and how the chapter was laid out for chapter three, with obviously talking about focus feedback and then fast feedback and being positive and, and the, th the, the way the chapter the way the chapter laid out to me is almost as if you were giving a, a list of how to structure your feedback as you went through the chapter. So you're obviously saying, you know, give one point, don't give a million points. But then also now next you, you need to be focused on get, being quick with that feedback and giving examples of how to do that. So, and when you, and I watch other coaches, I can kind of see, oh God, he's, he's, he's giving too much information at one time and not letting them act upon it not allowing them to use it and then also he's being really long-winded so now <laughs> you've taken you've given them a lot you said a lot and they're sitting there going i have no idea what you're talking about but as soon as you let us play we're just going to do what we want to do um so it just seemed to me that the chapter laid out that way and when when you say chasing five rabbits you catch none that really resonated with me because when i watch other coaches and i've been doing my best and i personally when i set up a training session i go in with three coaching points and I've done, I, I will say I've done it before and I've given all of them at once and yeah. say play. And I get, I may get within the first three minutes, one of them do one of them correctly. And the more I started layer and accidentally, I will say accidentally layering in that, that feedback instead of giving it all at once, give one, one coaching point and, Oh, wow. They actually, a lot of them actually use it. And then I was like, maybe because I didn't overload them with information that they could not use. So for, long story yeah. short, I like how the chapter was laid out because it, it spoke to me in the sense of how I should give my feedback. Um, so I'm obviously going to be in the rest of the book, I'm going to be looking for that pattern of, of how to do something in a more layered fashion. And instead of giving it to all of us, giving it to us all in one paragraph, you're layering it in and saying, okay, now you should be focusing on, this this and this is the next thing and this is the next thing and then if you put the entire chapter together maybe you have a structure to kind of act upon i don't know if that was intentional but that's what no, I well it's funny because i was really aware of the fact that the the chapter that was about managing working memory and giving manageable loads of information was the longest chapter in the book <laughs> and you know like it's one of the reasons that i broke it up into 101 201 and 301 because it's just like it's just just goes on and on and on like people must be like when is this guy going to shut up <laughs> anyway thank you for thank i appreciate i appreciate that and it's nice to know that it felt manageable and and realistic so i appreciate still trying to apply it all but I'm, I'm i'm working towards that me too i was out to dinner with some friends last night and my, my kids were um telling stories about dad's bad feedback so <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think for me, just the biggest takeaway is how much like my teaching and feedback in particular has such a huge impact on our culture and 
how just creating that environment where it's okay to make mistakes and just how much player improvement leads to building that trust and accountability that we talk about being so important in our culture, but aren't intentional in teaching in a way that promotes that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, thank you for that. And I do think, you know, when we talk about lessons beyond the court and beyond the field, you know, being comfortable with like the idea of a culture of error and being comfortable with the idea of like exposing our mistakes and studying them and uh, not being afraid of them. I just think that that's one of the most profound things that my own kids have taken from, from good coaches that they've worked with. So thank you for that, Christian. Yeah. Awesome. I, thank you, Doug, for writing this. It's like, I'm always looking for ways to get better and, and Luke for putting this together because there's so many nuggets and the one that, I starred in the last day among, I don't know, a hundred others was the teaching happens in the stoppage, but the learning happens only when there's a sustained opportunity to use with the ideas we discussed after. Yeah. Right. And I look around gyms, the same as all of us do. And you're like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like if I had to summarize it, it would be like, stop talking and yeah. let them, let them learn. Um, yeah, it's funny because people often react very strongly to that and their response is that coaches shouldn't talk at all. And that's not true either, right? Like you're, gu- you're an expert, your guidance is gold. It's trusting it enough that it's worthwhile and then putting it in a situation where players can like use it and wrestle it with it and try it. It's, um, but I do think that's just like a chronic. A lot of those chapters are definitely written on my children's sports practice. <laughs> now you got to do it. Can I, can I ask you a quick follow-up? Sure. So I have, I struggle a lot with hearing, like you gave me confidence coach, or you took Mm -hmm. away my confidence. Can you speak a little to the, to the feedback? Cause the last thing I want to do is take away a kid's confidence, but I also think it's really dangerous to give me the power to give them confidence. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really important, um, it's easy to, it's easy to build a cult of personality, right? Where it's about wanting to win the approval of the coach. Um, my, my daughter is a soccer player and she has played for coaches where, you know, um, maybe the moment that I was happy was the, the coach was very much about like, it was about earning his, his approval and praise. And it wasn't really about the soccer. It was about, him in a way that I was always like a little bit uncomfortable with. And she had some teammates who were like, whatever, whatever I can do to make Skip love me. And one time he walked over to her and he put his arm around her. She's like 13 at the time. And he's like, um, and he said something like, uh, don't you like me, Maya? And she just looked at him <laughs> like, it is not about my liking you, right? Uh, I think it always, I I think players know when our focus is about them and building their confidence and building their skill. I think that's just a form of belief is like, I'm taking the time to teach you because I believe in you as opposed to, you know, like chapter six, I think there's a section about like ego getting in the way and it being about me and my wanting to be successful and be known as the coach. And that was kind of like the deal with this coach. Like he was the coach that everyone in the area wanted to play for. Um, And I think that that is, I think that most players, when they know that you believe in them and when you tell them that you believe in them and that when you tell them how to get better, it's because you want them to be the best 
player and person that they can be when you just repeat that over and over. And I think, I think that they, they feel that. And then I just think there's a constant moments where you have to make, like your ego is always trying to get into the game and, um, and it's really hard to work day after day after day to improve other people and, and like, and not, you know, want some credit for, for it and, and to be admired for, you know, you spend time planning your lessons and you want people to notice that. Um, and I just think balancing that is one of the, I think it's one of the biggest challenges in coaching. I don't, I'm not sure that I answered your, your question, but I think it's the right question, which is how do I know that first of all, I'm making them into successful, sound, stable, good people, right? Um, we wouldn't want to make great athletes who are um, fragile as people. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful about that. Sports is, I mean, I think sport, like I love sports played in college. I think it's totally out of whack in our society and like way, way too, way too overvalued. And, you know, people's identity and self-worth comes through sports and you, I just think your identity and self-worth has to come through character and integrity and goodness and, uh, and, you know, keeping it in perspective is important. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for the question. That was awesome. I went way over yeah, time. I apologize. You're you're great. I hey, I was just wanting to respect your time. So I I know I speak for my myself, probably other coaches. I'm down to talk for a while, but um, any other questions or thoughts you want to leave the coaches with, Doug? Just thanks. I, I just really appreciate. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was super fun. Um, now my kids are running riot upstairs. I got somebody's got to put them to bed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fun. I want to thank. I just you know I, I will like I. I, I've mentioned several times my own kids and like playing sports has been such an important part of their development as people. And so I'm just grateful to you guys for what you do for young people. I know the hours you put in. Uh, I know, I know how hard it is and uh, coaches who want to do it right and take the time to ask themselves the questions that you guys ask yourselves that make a huge difference in young people's lives. And I can speak to that from experience. So thank you. Thanks Doug. We appreciate you. See ya. Uh, See soon. Yeah. Coaches, let me just give you guys a couple quick things and then uh, get you out of here. Um, first, I want to just quickly share with you guys and um, what what I'm essentially trying to create or launch to serve coaches. Um, so I'm doing these book clubs for free and really enjoying it. And um, you know, my hope ultimately is to be able to be more in the coach development space, hoping, helping coaches get better. And so essentially launching a community called the coaches club community. And I'm really passionate about it because I just don't think coaches have enough support from other coaches. Um, don't have time and space to actually connect and collaborate. And, you know, in an ideal world, we'd be coaching in places where our administrators and supervisors were really invested in our growth, but I just know that that's not happening in a lot of places and that's really unfortunate, but I think that just the power of the world we live in now is that we can connect with coaches from everywhere to support each other. And so I'm creating this community. I'd love for any of you guys to be a part of it. Here's what it'll really consist of weekly zoom meetings. And so those will consist of a few different things. One is continuing the book clubs. So the community is going to continue to study through the coaches guide to teaching for probably about the next year. Um, if you want to continue to do it, I'd love for you to be in the community, continue to study through the book. Uh, we'll go through the other chapters. Uh, I'm going to call them master classes. So this would be like one 
coaching topic, really focused on either teaching or in leading that either I'd facilitate off things that I'm learning, or I'd bring in an expert um, to facilitate that discussion and share things on it. Um, Roundtables, essentially just like community-wide Q and A's about a certain topic. And then the other thing I think is going to be really valuable for coaches in the community is Q and A's with podcast guests. So similar to what we just got to do with Doug, um, my vision for it is that at least twice a month, I have a podcast guest on my podcast on Monday, and then on Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, at some point in the next week, um, coaches in the community get to hop on a Zoom with them to ask them questions about what we talked about on the podcast or other things coaching. Um, I just think that one, it's fun for me to do that. I love talking to all these people like Doug and others, uh, but I think that could just be really valuable for coaches as they try to figure out how to apply it. Um, You'll get replays of all of those if you're in the community. And then this is the thing that I think is, is really valuable and kind of unique is all of those zooms. Um, you'll get the audio, the audio replay in a private podcast feed. So if you're in the community, you get a specific link that you can copy and paste into your podcast app and have a private podcast feed. And so like, if you can't make a book club or a Q and a, instead of having to log on, like you'll just get it straight into your phone and your podcast app. Cause I know for me, like logging on the computer, rewatching it. I'm just way less likely to do that than if I have it on my phone and I can listen to it in the car or while I'm working out or something like that. Um, yeah. And then there'll be a community wide group me as it grows a sport specific group me for coaches that want that. Um, we'll have quarterly one-on-one calls, if not more. Um, and then, yeah, just want to be transparent to the cost that I'm, that I'm selling it at is 50 bucks a month or 500 bucks a year. And, um, if you don't feel like it's valuable or worth your money within the first two months, I'll give you hundred percent of your money back. Um, the only question I'll ask is just like, how could it be more valuable or how can I make it better for you? And yeah, just to throw it out there, oftentimes clubs or athletic departments um, will pay for things like this. So if you're interested, want to be a part of it, want to learn more, you can go to this URL coachesclub.community or I'm happy to stay, hop on, stay on the Zoom for a few minutes, answer any of your questions, or just email me. We can set up a phone call. I'd love to talk with you. My whole heart in it and goal is to provide something that's really valuable for coaches so that just like Doug shared, you guys, that we all can be even better at our jobs, which is ultimately to give kids a great experience. Um, just because I believe in the power of sports to be a huge, a huge force for good in kids' lives. So that's that. I'd love for you to be a part. You can learn more there. You can join there. Talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Coaches, thanks for listening. And a huge thanks to Doug Lamar for joining us for a Q&A. If you haven't already, go get a copy of his book. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a link to buy the book on Amazon in the show details. And if you want to hear more from Doug, check out episode one of the podcast where I interviewed him more extensively about the Coach's Guide to Teaching. And two quick things before we wrap up. First, you heard me talk about the Coaches Club community. I'd love for you to be a part of it. You can learn more or join at coachesclub.community or just click the link in the show details. And if you have any questions about it, just email me at luke at transformsport.org. And finally, don't forget to sign up for the next round of free book clubs. They start the week of August 16th, so sign up soon before spots are gone. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.